Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in the CIM Marketing Podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. This series is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61, 61 of the CIM Marketing Podcast. And with us today is a beloved veteran of the show, and that is Morag Cudderford-Jones, editor of our Super Soar Away CIM magazine, Catalyst. Um, how are you, Morag? I am exceptionally well. I'm going to have to stick, dig out all my superlatives, Ben. You feel like you're in a superlative mood today. Perhaps, perhaps. We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, the superlatives keep on coming because we have a great guest with us today from a fantastic brand, Claire Martin, who is the founder of lingerie brand Confident Tiger and is from Blue Cactus Digital. Claire, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you. It's lovely to have you. And we'll be looking forward to hearing from you a little bit later on. But first, before we come to you, Claire, I'm going to ask Morag to round up what he's in this next edition of Catalyst. I should say Catalyst is due on your doormat in about a week's time. So you should look for that popping through the post um, in the next seven days or so. But before you get it, Morag will be able to preview it for you. Morag, what can we look forward to in this summer's issue? What can we look forward to indeed? Um, it's interesting because as we were putting this issue together, it's very easy to be a bit Eeyore-ish about it. We're talking about sustainability in this edition. And we don't normally give over a whole edition, as readers will know. We, we try and cover a broad number of different topics in the mag. But it just so came together that, that a lot of people were talking about sustainability. And so we really have, we really do feel like we have given this edition over to the topic. And it's, it's not surprising because it is in the headlines so very much at the moment. And the reason I said I don't want to be Eeyore-ish is because it is very easy to listen to the news and read about events that are coming up, things like COP that have just been... Um, talking about people going down to to um, can advertising, for example, um, Davos in the past, lots of different events where sustainability is being talked about. And it's not being talked about in massively positive terms. It's being talked about as being the biggest challenge and problem, I guess, I guess of our generation. Yeah. And as I said, it's, it's very easy to feel Eeyore-ish and easy to, the headlines are 1.5 degree, increase in temperature our target is not to reach that we're nowhere close to that target it's going to be impossible to reach net zero by 2030 we cover all of those but i really hope that we cover those issues in as much of an actionable way as possible as much of a way of saying come on guys that we are in a great position as a sector as marketers to do something about this someone's passed me a draft of your editor's letter i don't think i'm revealing too much to our members, you know, I quote just one quote from it, and which suggests that you think it's as much as an opportunity as it is a threat. In fact, it may be more of an opportunity than it is a threat. You say, if there's one thing I would like to take away from this edition of Catalyst, dear reader, it's enthusiasm, four things, passion, drive, and yes, anger. So the balance of enthusiasm and passion with a bit of anger, what's made you angry? Uh, well, I wanted people to feel strongly about it more than anything. So I guess anger, because we cover a number of issues in the magazine 
that address not only are we in a great position to be doing something about it, but perhaps some of our fraternity, sorority, some of our community aren't doing as much as they could, or they're not doing it with the wholehearted commitment that we'd like to see. And in some ways, treating sustainability with less than 100% commitment makes you part of the problem, not the solution. It's as bad as not doing anything at all. And I think there are a lot of areas where, as marketers, we need to grasp the nettle very strongly, and we need to take our organizations, our leaders, our partners in sales, marketing, product development, production, manufacturing, all these things, we need to take our, our partners by the hand and say, this is what needs to happen. We are, we are the group with our ears to the ground. We are the group that listen to consumers. We are the group that are capturing the zeitgeist. We're not the scientists. We're not the politicians. But we certainly are very much at the heart of all the things that are going on. And we can be facilitators. And we need you to come with us on this journey, because if you do it half-heartedly, if you do it half-assedly, we're not getting anywhere at all. And so, yeah, I put anger because every time I talk about this and I'm not I'm not what I would consider a typical environmentalist, just like I wouldn't say I, I'm, I'm what I would consider a typical feminist. I am both, though, because I live in this world and I have to be both. Um, but it makes me angry and it makes me passionate. And I feel that everyone else should be angry and passionate too. Was there a light bulb moment when you came to sort of formulate this thesis before you got to work on the magazine? I'm not sure if it was a light bulb moment or a chipping away. I think maybe the chipping away led to a light bulb moment. I think the light bulb moment was seeing when we build this edition, we don't necessarily go out with the aim of commissioning lots of articles all on the same topic. But the simple fact is that when people were coming to me saying, we'd love to be in the magazine, we'd love to reach your readers, the overarching theme was always sustainability, sustainability, sustainability. And it gave that, I guess, was maybe my light bulb moment of saying, so many people want to talk about this from so many angles. This is now no longer a protest issue. It's no longer a political issue. It's no longer a side issue. It's everyone's issue and we should be talking about it. It's everyone's issue and it's, it's mainstream and it's, it affects commerciality and it affects marketing in very profound ways, doesn't it? What then can we look forward to specifically? Is there a big cover story? Are you willing to leak a week ahead what we might see on the front page? Um, yes, there is loads of interesting stuff to delve into. So, for example, the thing that I was angry about is actually our cover story. Our great writer, Mary Lou Costa was interviewing a great number of people, of whom Claire Martin, <laughs> our guest, is one. We were talking about greenwashing. The Competition and Markets Authority is targeting the fashion industry first. It's not singling it out, but it had to start somewhere. And it's going, look, guys, you all make claims about how you're meeting net zero for 2030. You all make great claims about recyclability and circular economies and all these great things. But anytime we delve into these claims, so many of these claims are built on sand. They're, they're, they're just not worth the paper they're written on. Or you're focusing very much on one very individual thing that you're doing, which is great, and brushing the fact that you're actually not doing anything great <laughs> on the rest of the organization. You're brushing it under the carpet. So I guess this is where part of the anger came from. This was the 
it's not so much that our companies who supply us are doing bad things, it's that they're telling us they're doing great things. We as consumers, when I put my consumer hat on, we are so dependent on the brands we shop for guidance. You know, yeah. we, we, we can't, the decision, I, I refer to it all the time when I'm talking to people as mental gymnastics. Every time we go into a shop, we're picking this green bean grown locally, but using hydroponics and electricity and unnatural conditions to try and make this lovely green shiny thing, which wouldn't normally grow in our climate, or we're flying easily grown beans all the way from Kenya. Yeah. And as a consumer, I can't spend all day in the supermarket performing these mental gymnastics, trying to figure out which one is which. So we need brands to provide that shorthand. But when they're doing it cynically, or as I said earlier, half-assedly, <laughs> you know, if they're doing it cynically or half-assedly, then I feel let down. And I feel like by extension, I've done a bad thing. Not only have I been let down, but I've now also become part of the problem. That's interesting. Claire Martin, welcome. Welcome to the show. You have been interviewed for this feature. We won't reveal too much about what you said in it. But first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your brand, Confident Tiger, lingerie brand. Why Confident Tiger? So um, the roots of the brand are because I basically had this issue and I totally agree with everything you've said Morag like nodding enthusiastically although no one can see me um <laughs> that I couldn't find a sustainable option or a, an option that I found sustainable um, that was on kind of my wavelength in my bra size uh anywhere on the market that I that I wanted um my bra actually broke during lockdown my, I, I mean I've got more than one but it's like my favorite bra um so I started on a quest to try and find one couldn't find one anywhere my husband just said well, why don't you design one wow um so it's been a long journey um I'm still only halfway towards getting a the bra that I wanted um but I felt really passionately about sustainable materials or greener materials like the fashion industry produces so much waste and I'm not just talking about you know getting materials produced or um, returns it's everything so much waste overall and one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that when clothing is returned you know someone might buy five different sizes of, of one item they don't realise that actually when those four other items that don't fit are returned, they often aren't resold. They often go to landfill. And that was something that I found astonishing. So one of the, the priorities of the brand or one of the main missions of the brand is to find the right fit for you. So you don't have to buy five different sizes. You buy one size that you know is going to fit you with a fitting system that I'm licensing at the moment that I know will provide the perfect fit and then creating bra sizes that fit along those lines. So this is a really exciting idea. So how is that done without revealing too many of your commercial secrets? You're designing a, a fitting system which, which would radically reduce the amount of returns. How do people do that in their own home? How, you know, how does that work? So it's actually a, so I've tested out a lot of different bra calculators, bra fit calculators. There are lots out there. And I found the most reliable, which is the technology I'm licensing at the moment, was developed by a company called Boob or Bust, which is designed for larger busted women, but also works across the spectrum. Um, and it's an at-home measuring system where you can take four different measurements of your body, plug them into the system, and it will say, this is your suggested size. 
but getting better fitted clothes or clothes that are more likely to fit is a sustainable aim as well as a commercial aim. One of the issues that we've been discussing quite a lot on this podcast, and we'll, we know we're going to find more about it in Morag's upcoming magazine, is the idea of greenwashing. Um, that there is a, almost a divide setting up within the retail space between companies that actually have sustainability at heart, is that's why they are doing it, that's why the brand exists, which is the case with your brand, and companies that are sort of pegging a sustainable ticket uh, in, in the hope that that will attract them more customers, but it's not at their heart. And how do consumers define between those two? And what are the risks, do you think, for brands themselves? First of all, it's obviously much, much easier to start with a brand that has those values at the, at the heart of them yeah. um, than introducing them and trying to trying to adapt your strategy. But as marketers, you know, your role is to adapt to the market to make sure you have the most relevant messaging. Um, from a consumer point of view, it's very, very difficult. And this is the problem, that it is down to the brands to communicate that. Consumers don't realise you know, the message is not communicated enough that any unsold clothing or a lot of unsold clothing goes to landfill that isn't resold. They think, I buy something in four sizes, I returned four, uh, three of those, one fits. That's just going to be resold to someone else, right? So I think from a consumer point of view, brands have a responsibility to promote their values. And that's part of the CMA review is to say this needs to happen. Brands should not be, should not be glazing over what they're doing. They should be really transparent with their practices from a consumer, because you can't make consumers research into every purchase, especially now, they don't have the time. People don't have the time. Now people are back in offices, they're not at home working all the time. They don't they don't have any time to to research into those choices. And there are a lot of places where consumers can find the information about a brand's values and how ethical as well as sustainable brands are. And there is there are more and more websites that are coming launching that are helping the decision helping consumers make better decisions but I still think it's it's a big brand responsibility and it needs to form part of the marketing what is your messaging how are you educating people about this marketing is about education as well as promoting your products and selling your products so that goes back to your earlier point Morag that it's the, the the focus should be it should be incumbent on the producers and not the consumers to find this stuff out. Well, if you want to be fashionable, which many of our listeners, I'm sure, do want to be fashionable, but also want to be sustainable, it shouldn't be their responsibility to have to find out who has got the sustainability credentials. Well, absolutely. I mean, the one person who knows what goes into their products is the people who produce the products. It's They don't have to hunt around anything. You know exactly what's in your product, where it's come from, where it's been produced. And if you don't, that's a real problem. Supply chain transparency is another massive issue where companies are sitting there going, well, we're whiter than white, or in this case, greener than green. And then you point out to them, but you use XYZ supplier who are dreadful. They're like, oh, but that's not us. It's like, well, it is you. If it comes from them, it's, it's you. Um, but I think the other issue is we need the education we need the transparency. And I wonder if part of the, the lack of transparency is a fear that brands feel they will be found out. Yeah. Now, when I mean found out, 
even brands who have the best will, as 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 you were saying, Claire, you know, these the, it's easy to start up because you can start up with a clean slate, you know, literally clean. You can you can make those decisions from the ground up and keep going. Um, re-engineering, reverse engineering processes is a lot harder. But um, the, the, the being found out, let's reframe that as we are honestly making a step towards and we are making more steps towards. And the transparency of this is where we are, this is what we've always been, and now we're moving this forward. So you can make you can now make an informed choice by saying we do use fossil fuels in our production. We're working to not, but currently we use X percent of fossil fuels. We currently source garments made in Bangladesh. We are working towards better labor practices. Um, X percent of our contracts are still stuck with X. We are working to extricate ourselves from this. You know, we're moving towards an environment for ESG reporting, which is environmental, social and governance. Um, which is uh, a phrase that really trips off the consumer tongue. I do think that at some point they might have to come up with a, a cipher for that that's a little more consumer friendly. But that is becoming an increasingly important mandate for companies where they they have to report financially with their annual reports. We're increasingly seeing them voluntarily create ESG reports. And I hope we're moving to a point where they will actually have to create ESG reports. And when they do that, that can trickle down. It can be translated by journalists in, in as much as you see in the national press on the headline business pages, Marks and Spencer's profits rise full, everything else. Those are easy headlines that the man on the street and the man and the woman on the street can understand that company's doing well or badly. So if ESG reporting becomes part of that, you can say XYZ retailers, um, green credentials improved or, or fell over a period of time. We can see that from the business pages. That then translates into how do we communicate that to consumers on, on the rails and on the shelves? What part do you think, Claire Martin, um, cultural leadership, media leadership, if you like, has to play? I mean, I, I'm, I have to put my cards on the table here and be honest. I've never actually watched an episode of Love Island, but I did see the headlines very recently that they have decided to use secondhand clothing throughout for all of their uh, contestants wardrobes whereas before I believe they use very you know fast fashion brands but what role does that sort of cultural leadership have you know they're a very popular show popular with people who follow fashion saying actually we're going to use vintage and recycled and secondhand clothing to dress all of our beautiful contestants. So I think this is a great move however I'm very skeptical about any stunts like this. Uh, so yeah, obviously it's great if that is the case and they are 100% doing as they say. There are still reservations though. Is it is it just we're trying to bring a, a new audience on board? Um, and actually, how else? What other moves are they making to be more sustainable and greener? It's one part of it. It's like anything, you know, a, a company H&M saying, "Oh, we use organic cotton." Okay, well, what else are you doing for that? Or it's like any other brand saying, well, we're, we're ticking this box. What about the rest? It does have to be a one stage at a time thing. You know, you can't expect brands to be able to do everything at once. I understand financial limitations, cultural change within the organisation as well as externally. So great. Thumbs up from me. But what else? What are you going to do next time? Are you going to continue using this? Yeah, are you next? Don't forget about it next year. 
Are you a fan of Love Island, Morag? To my absolute horror, I discovered my 14-year-old son is. Anyway, right. that's enough of a comment on that. No, I, I'm absolutely with you, Claire. I think it's 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 a statement of intention. And if they stop flying people to Ibiza to make a TV yeah. show who all live in Essex, um, then that might be a, a, a more sustainable step. But I also think it's quite interesting. I wonder how far that message will get. You know the company ASOS, Ben? Yeah. What it stands for, what it used to stand for was as seen on screen. screen. Yeah. And so its whole purpose when it was starting up was to find companies that supplied a piece of clothing that either was the same or looked very like something a big star had worn. So Angelina Jolie in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is a very, very old film, um, we'll find the specific jean shape that she wore and you can buy it from this retailer and these other retailers. Love Island's recognized that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people who watch Love Island are inspired by the outfits and want to wear exactly what these people did. It was very easy when they named the company these people wore things from because they could go out and buy it. That was a, that was a tie-in. It was easy. But yeah. now, if you see someone in itty-bitty little shorts and a, a tank top, they might not know which shop it came from because it's an eBay vintage, but they may easily go to any number of high street stores and buy a very, very similar outfit. So I don't think, as you know, as, as has been mentioned in the cover story, not too many spoilers, educating behaviour change. I'm not convinced that Love Island's going to send all of its viewers to eBay looking for Daisy Duke type shorts. I think it's just going to send them to Google Shopping by putting in Daisy Duke type shorts and they'll buy it fresh from somewhere else. Brilliant, brilliant point. Brilliant point, Claire Martin. That is that they'll mimic it through fast fashion, not because they won't be able to find a vintage pair of Daisy Duke shorts. Exactly. This is what I was going to say, is that it actually gives more reason for brands to launch new collections that might have been last year's fashion or the years be year before. And I very much doubt they're going to brush off or dust off those uh, storage boxes in their huge warehouses and say, oh, this was what we did last year. It's been seen on Love Island. Let's just rebring this stock out, even though we've only got limited stock. It will probably say, OK, here's the designer. Can you just redevelop this or can we just get the, this tech pack back to the factory to make more of these rather than using the stock they just didn't sell? And I think that's worrying, you know, because they have what's going to happen to that stock in that warehouse? Is it going to go to landfill? Is it going to be incinerated? It's not going to be recycled. I think that's another part of this whole problem. You know, number one, the best thing any consumer can do is wear what they've already got. Don't buy more. Don't fuel consumerism. You know, I now have a capsule wardrobe and I'm fully aware that every week I wear the same five pieces of clothing. But that is the most eco-friendly way of doing it. And I must say, I am not the most eco person. My, my friends all think, oh my God, Claire, you, are run a, you run a green brand. You must just be absolutely impeccable and everything. And I say, no, I'm a human. I do yeah. what I can do. I make better choices than I used to. But in terms of making every single decision in a green way, it's not always possible for me and my family. Um, and I think if you're making the, you know, making the best out of the situation you have, that's the most you can do. But anyway, the second best thing you can do is recycle. So buy things that already exist. Don't fuel the new production cycle. Don't don't fuel fast fashion. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? First of all, the love islands of this world showing doesn't mean a change in consumer behaviour. In fact, it may actually embed 
bad consumer behavior when people try to mimic it through fast fashion but on the recycling front perhaps there is something there you know i had a conversation with a lady uh, a young uh, woman at coincidentally the cim sustainability summit who is a member of a clothing recycling rental platform called her spelled h-u-r-r i've never heard of it i think it only does ladies wear but very popular there are a number of these platforms now where people can buy actually very high quality clothes wear them for uh, you know a, a few times or even just one time and then put them back on the platform this lady started as a uh, buyer or, or a renter uh, you know she rented a few outfits she said she has to go to four or five gala events a year and wanted a, a, a nice dress for those events and so she'd rent them wear them once and then put them back on the platform she then realized she could rent out clothes so she went and spent money on high quality fashion, wore it once, and then other women uh, loaned it through the platform. Is that perhaps an interesting avenue for the future of fashion to make us more sustainable? I think it's definitely becoming more popular. And actually, this is one of um, the thing that's exciting me about the future is that there are so many brands that are doing this. I mean, competition is probably not great for them. But there was a couple of months ago, a brand on Dragon's Den presenting for children's clothes clothing the little loop um and again there are lots of other brands that are doing the same thing but it's trying to make that a unique proposition and i'm actually working with quite a few clients at the moment through the uh, through blue catches digital that are exploring options to make this easier for the consumer it could be a very complicated concept thinking hang on how does this work and the other concern well, hang on. Why, why, why is it complicated? I've never used them, but they, they tend to be ladies' wear mainly. Have you used them, and why? Why is it complicated? So a lot of these the companies use credits rather than money. So you sign up to a subscription, you pay ten pounds a month, you get X amount of credits, then you list your clothing that you want to sell, um, and then someone says, "Yeah, I'm interested in this. I want to buy it." So they'll buy it with their credits, or they can buy it with their their own cash. Um, but from a brand ownership point of view, the logistics of doing everything right. can be quite complicated. But then the other side, if I'm selling or renting or swapping my clothes, how does that work? So do I use my own packaging? From a green point of view, how are those customers sending those packages? Are they using the most carbon positive way of, of sending those? Or is there a much bigger carbon impact because they're choosing an option and they haven't been educated on the best way to send those. So Morag, it's an interesting idea. It seems to be gaining in popularity, but there are flaws and there is friction, like with lots of new ideas that we need to overcome to make these things uh, a sort of green reality. So this is where I think big marketers, big business can step in. So when we've got big fashion and then they're going, right, we need to set up our own circular idea. We need to set up our own rental service. Well, hang on a minute, big fashion. You have the logistics. You have the staff. You have the warehouses. You have the pickup points. Can we not start working in concert with all these people who have built fan bases and customer bases and done all the hard work of reaching out and customer education? It's not going to dent your brand. It's surely going to enhance it. So go for it. And again, I go back all the way to saying marketers are the, the fulcrum. They're the ones that, that, that bring everything together. 
and give everyone the chance to work together. And they're the ones who pull everyone into the idea and can make it happen. So there's an idea is working in partnership, Claire. In fact, would that be on your list of things that we can do now to, to improve our lot, to make our, ourselves more sustainable, not just in fashion, as Morag says, but in interiors and other uh, mm. large uh, industries? Yeah, I mean, imagine how great it would be if you could take your, for example, taking the idea of Ikea, take your Ikea furniture, although obviously quite big and bulky, to say, Higo, can you go and resell this? They've got a resale programme. You get a credit against either buying other resold furniture or new furniture, which obviously isn't eradicating the problem, but you're swapping one piece of furniture for another rather than buying a piece, taking it to the tip, done. Yeah, and then IKEA recycle that furniture, upcycle that furniture, and then resell it. We talk about what the brands have done, but what role specifically, Claire, do you think marketers can have to making some of these ideas a reality? You know, what what part can they play in educating brands, educating consumers, bringing the two together, facilitating this sort of stuff? So I think it's rewriting the story. Right. Uh, rewriting your brand story. And communicating that across all your marketing channels, you know, consistent messaging that goes back to what you are doing, what you maybe aren't doing particularly well, but what you're working towards. And I think that's going to become a much bigger part of brand stories and accepting responsibility or accepting that you're not ticking all the boxes, but you need to change and actually being a key part in the business to drive that forward, you know, as marketers, your, you know, part of your role is to see what consumer trends are, what consumers are talking about and how you can turn that into part of your branding or part of your story. So I think, you know, and it's, it's thinking, trying to tell people or, or tell the consumers, communicate to con- consumers how this life is going to be better for them, you know. Is there, we've spoken a lot about negatives and some positives. Is there anything you're particularly positive and excited about for marketers or other marketers in the sort of next six months to a year? We're on the cusp of a disruption, just in the way that financial services was disruptive. Now, when Monzo, Starling, all those banks came up, they haven't killed the traditional bank. They have about 8% of the market still even the ones who are doing really well. I mean, Starling has uh, something like its revenues went up 600%. So it's not these aren't companies that don't work. Um, But the challengers, they didn't kill the traditional banks, but they very much forced them to change the way they worked. So I can see all these small companies that are grabbing the attention of bits of the market, that are really plugging into a consumer desire to do something. And they can then show to the bigger companies, A, customers want this. At the moment, you're forcing your consumers. They may not be proactively going out and buying sustainability. They're still buying from you. But they're doing so with a lot of disquiet. You're forcing them into unsustainable behavior. And there's only so long that will last. So you take the lead. You use your considerable resources. I'm not saying it's not going to cost. It will cost you and it will cost the consumer to change. So if you can change and you can follow the example, partner with, change your processes, whatever, you will be the fintechs 12 months on. I, f- I fully believe that. If you embrace it and do the hard yards, you'll be fine. But Claire, the, the disruptors, the confident tigers of this world will give the big boys and girls a, 
a much needed kick up the backside. I'm really hoping so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, so I've been working in marketing for 12 years now. And the last three years, I have seen the biggest shift in consumer behavior, people looking to the small brands. And so, I feel like every month I'm reporting different things to my marketing clients because it is so volatile. But this provides opportunity, I think, for marketers. And it's, I find it so, I mean, it's a roller coaster. But yeah. I find it so exciting that, you know, one month Facebook ads are shot up in terms of returns. The next month plummeted, but Google ads have gone up or email marketing popularity, you know, it's, and it's constantly changing. And I think that is a reflection of actually how wider consumer trends are changing. Um, and, you know, where at the beginning of lockdown, where it was all about, let's be more eco, let's be more sustainable, let's research into small businesses we can support to keep them afloat rather than the big, the bigger players. And now it's gone back to, yeah, I am a bit concerned from a consumer point of view, I'm really, really concerned about money. But actually, I'm still going to be looking for the businesses that give me transparency and that have a lower price point, that are providing the quality, that the products are performing their purpose, but they actually are still making sure that their products are sustainable. I don't know. I just think it's a really exciting time, especially for small businesses that, that are going to lead the way in changing the bigger brands momentum volatile more i could have a jones but ex but exciting a bit like catalyst magazine is most of the time it'll be with us i should repeat in seven days or so look look out for it from the postman or postwoman popping it through the letterbox finally i'll give the final word to you more if you could wrap up this fantastic organ that's coming through our letterboxes soon in three words what would those three words be i'm definitely going with exciting and volatile passionate exciting volatile and passionate that sounds like a good mix to me ladies thank you very much indeed for joining us on the cim marketing podcast today claire martin from confident tiger maura cadderford jones editor of catalyst thank you very much for your time and your insights and we'll see you both i hope again on another show quite soon thank, thank you if you've enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe to the cim marketing podcast on your platform of choice if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. CIM Marketing Podcasts.